It's Monday in the octave of Easter. Welcome to today's Paschal Cast. This is Father John Zilsdorf. A liturgical octave is an eight-day period following and including the feast. Theologically speaking, an octave anticipates the eternal bliss of heaven in which we will consider God in his glory. Think of it this way. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh, the Sabbath, he rested. This cycle of seven repeats itself while the world endures. The eighth day is therefore beyond the cycle of seven. It symbolizes an eternal state, the perfect unending Sabbath of heaven. As a church, during the octave, perceived as a single continuous day, we imitate the hosts of heaven in their abiding contemplation. In a way, the church suspends time so that we can rest within the mystery we have celebrated while contemplating it from different angles. Here's an example. Maybe you've gone to a great museum, such as the Academion in Florence, where the Michelangelo's David is housed. Well, just walking in and glancing at it for a moment isn't enough. You want to spend a little time looking at it. You look at it first from this direction, and then another, and then you walk around it, and you try to see it from various points of view. Considering our human weakness, a single day per year does not suffice to gather in the different dimensions of the mystery of a great feast. An octave allows us to do that and reflect on the feast in different ways. We also today continue our spiritual journey to all the stations, the Roman stations. They continue during the octave. Today the station is at St. Peter's in the Vatican Hill, where the Pope would say Mass. But after Mass there was something very interesting that happened. And Alfonso Schuster describes it. In those centuries it was not unusual for the emperor or some other king or prince to be present in Rome for the Easter festival, and historians relate that on such occasions these sovereigns would hold the pope's stirrup or the bridle of his steed in token of their devoted homage. After the mass the pontiff put on the tiara and returned in state to the Lateran, distributing large gifts of money to the cardinals, the inferior clergy, and the people who were crowding the streets. Hardly had he passed over Hadrian's Bridge when he was acclaimed by representatives of the Jewish colony, who begged in return the papal protection for their people. The Pope caused money to be distributed among them also, promising to mete out justice to them and to shield them from oppression. The procession, which had stopped for a few minutes to receive the petitions of the Jews, again set forth for the Lateran, first ascending to the capital, and then descending into the forum by the Clivus Argentarius, it passed under the triumphal arches of Septimius Severus and of Titus, leaving the Arch of Constantine on their right at the Meta Sudans, and turning toward the Colossus of Nero, entered the Via Sacra, which led straight to the Lateran. The sight of that splendid religious procession passing through the ruins of the former greatness of Imperial Rome must have been wonderfully dramatic. The Pope crowned with the tiara, the bridle of his steed held by the highest earthly sovereigns, the throng of bishops and cardinals in their richest vestments surrounding the Pope, the lower orders of the clergy coming out of all the churches as the pontiff passed by, and greeting him with clouds of incense, the dense crowd of people along the way. All this must have brought to the minds of the onlookers that prophecy of Daniel, foretelling that the little stone which detached itself from the mountain would crush the mightiest kingdoms and found an empire that should have no end. 
After this triumphant progress, no chant could have been more appropriate to the occasion than that which the cantors intoned before the gates of the Lateran as the Pope descended from his steed. Christus vincit, Christus regnat, Christus imperat. Christus imperat.